I used to have a poster in my room when I was growing up. So it was a picture of a surfer and it said kind of face your fears and live your dreams. Mm. And with that respect, I kind of just went in early on facing my fears, primarily initially from a mental perspective. Mm-hmm. You realize early on that this is quite different, mm-hmm. that it's going to test you beyond anything you ever know. Mm-hmm. You know, take what you know and put that to one side, mm-hmm. because as soon as you go out there, it is just rough. It is raw. And you're not fighting for your life. But certainly if you make a mistake, it's going to be costly. This is The Metal Set. Hi, this is Dawn, an ultra cyclist and sports PR specialist. And I'm Afshan, an endurance athlete and journalist. And we're on a quest to bring you stories of tenacity, courage and metal. From athletes in the Middle East and beyond. What does it feel like to row across the Atlantic Ocean? What motivates you to do something like that? Toby Gregory, the founder and director of the Arabian Ocean Rowing Team, is here to tell us exactly what it felt like to row the first UAE flag boat across the Atlantic Ocean, unsupported and unassisted. Interestingly, more people have been to space and climbed Mount Everest than actually taking on this 5,000-kilometer journey from the coast of Africa to Antigua. So having Toby share how he conceived the idea and what it took to go on this 40-day expedition with his teammates, where they navigated everything from 40-foot waves, sleep deprivation and seasickness, was an amazing storm of astonishment, excitement and inspiration for us too. The journey was undertaken to raise awareness of marine pollution with the UN Environment Programme Clean Seas Team. Toby has been continuing that work with talks and workshops in the UAE since his return. During the conversation, we also couldn't help but take notes on being practitioners of experiencing joy, building an unwavering mindset for endurance, and winning the day by focusing on achieving three things. Toby's story of courage and motion has given us a lot of food for thought, and we hope it does for you too. Enjoy the show. Toby, welcome to the Metal Set Podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you very much for the invite. This is an incredible place. It's amazing. Yeah, we're really excited. So yeah, welcome. So we're getting you a little over two months after you led the first UAE flagged boat across the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm still wrapping my head around these distances. 5,525 kilometers of rowing, it, it, is that it correct? Was, it was over 5,000 kilometers. Okay. The actual distance is supposed to be 4,600 or so, but no really? engines, no motors, no sails. Yeah. You know, you kind of have to go with the wind and the tide. Amazing. So you started from La Gomera, which is off the coast of Africa, to English Harbour and Antigua. Tell us, what is it like? Are you still kind of processing it? Yeah, very much. It's in some ways a joyous and amazing place to be, you know, because it was something that kind of took 10 years to get to. And so for it to be over... You know, I, I'm still kind of almost on the boat in some ways. I'm still thinking about it. There's a lot going on. And they say, don't do anything for six months. You know, it takes a long time to process that cyber right. journey. Everything yeah. took place. You know, there are major highs, there are major lows. There were all sorts of things that you'd expect. Um, but yeah, I think two months on, I think the first thing is physically I'm okay, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, some of the other people that rode aren't. And so you, you're thinking, I'm, I'm very blessed and lucky about that. Um, but also two months on, 
I've discovered it, it was possibly, you know, one of the best things I could have ever done in my life. And so consequently, I've just gone straight back into planning and I've got some more, <laughs> some more plans ahead. On to the next. Right. It seems to be a theme amongst our guests. Once something big is achieved, they're what's like, next? what's next? Yeah. I, th- yeah. I think the, the end of one adventure has always got to be the beginning of the next. The next one. That is true. And we want to get into everything about this particular expedition and how you set up the Arabian Ocean Rowing Team. But first, we want to ask you, do you suffer from seasickness? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. It's, how did that work out for you then? Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. It, it, it kind of doesn't help because everyone who already thought you were pretty crazy to try and attempt such a thing. And they're like, when they hear that, they're like, what kind of mental state are you in? But ultimately, if you if you have a dream, if you want to pursue a goal, as, as you both have, you know, you'll do everything you possibly can to get there. Mm-hmm. And so as with the whole road, because we started from scratch, it was really, what do I need to do to overcome it? And is it possible to overcome it? And, you know, you see lots of other people try to overcome these things and some succeed, some fail. Um, but very luckily for me, when it mattered, I was able to control it and manage the situation. So I wasn't seasick for the whole journey. Wow. I can't wow. imagine. I'm like, I grew up on the ocean. I'm from Newfoundland. And yeah, seasick, seasickness, if you get it, it's no joke. And oh. getting your sea legs yeah. too. <laughs> Look, the other two thought they were going to have to row me the whole way across. Oh my gosh. Um, but it's it's just one where th- this is my dream. Yeah. yeah. So you can't let anything get in the way of that. That's true. That is and true. You manage that. So you're no stranger to endurance sports. Yes. We, we chatted yes. a couple of days ago and you were talking about Marathon de Sauve. How did you get into sports in general? Like what was, were you always active as a kid? Were you always kind of taking on big challenges? Yeah, look, I, I've never excelled at sports, but I've always enjoyed participating in them. And so as a consequence, you know, when growing up, there was always kind of football or tennis or or something or other, you know, very normal sports taking place. And, you know, my parents would, would involve me in those, you know, both my parents played sports, mm-hmm. they would encourage it. And I really enjoyed it. You know, the camaraderie, the team, my friends are doing it. It just made sense. And I, I think from there, you know, as you, as you start to push boundaries slightly and and find yourself, you know, you, you slowly become aware of what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, I just did that or I did this. And I was always quite amazed because I, I wasn't hugely talented. So I've always had to work hard at whatever it is I do. And then you you start to push these boundaries and you look back, you went, that was me. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like the row. You know, frankly, we're talking about a row and I have no direct connection to it in my mind. Yeah. Like I yeah. genuinely don't feel like I did it. Yeah. You know, I, I know all about it. That's how I can talk about yeah. it. But I don't feel like that was me. Mm. Um, so when growing up, you know, I'd, I'd play rugby, football, and the normal sports. And then slowly I discovered that I was quite good at running mm. and I could run. And I also slowly discovered that I'd never give up. Mm-hmm. I never quit. And that's the one thing that you have within your control, you know, when to end. Yeah. And so as a consequence, I just started taking these new challenges. Uh, I moved to the UAE. And well, I met, when was that? When did you move to the UAE? Uh, end of 2009, beginning okay. of 2010. And I just met the most wonderful people, mm-hmm. as you often do within sports. Yeah. yeah. And they helped me to push my boundaries. They showed me things in terms of the desert. They showed me trails and paths. And then again, you end up doing things that you just don't think are possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if you'd said to me when I moved out here, oh, you'll be running across deserts and mountains, and everything. The desire was there. The interest was there. I knew all about MDS, but it was a goal that was beyond my reach. It looked too mm-hmm. abstract. Yeah, it was, it was for people who, you know, who are amazing, these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I didn't fit into any of those brackets. Um, so it just slowly progressed and your, your boundaries stretch. And as your boundaries stretch, they never returned to where they were before. Mm-hmm. So what's the next challenge? And quite often you you become aware or you see these challenges without knowing that's for you. 
And then you just see it and it lights a touch people within you and your your heart, your passion, your drive is just obsessed and focused towards this. Yeah. And then you suddenly find you're on that path. Right. So you moved to the UAE and then you started ultra running. Yeah, I, I did some runs before. There yeah. was this thing in Wales <laughs> called R- Race to Train, okay. which again, you know, typical of me and my runs. I'd gone with a group of friends to Wales, to Tawin, beautiful place. Mm. And we had gone there to watch them participate. And the night before they discovered you could still enter this thing. And one of my friends entered me into this, this, this race. And so the next morning we all get up, uh, I took the train out. So you take the train out into the mountains and then basically you've got to beat the train back to the coast. So it's fairly simplistic, but it's good fun. And there I was, I was, you know, ready to cheer my friends on. Let's go. You know, you've got this and doing all the things. And I had a pair of trainers on and my friend said, look, <laughs> you're technically entered. Why don't you just give it a whirl? And so I did. I, I jumped <laughs> off the train. I'll never forget. I kind of didn't know where to stand because I, you know, I really didn't know too much about it, except for we were going to follow the train. And so I, I just gave it a nudge and uh, I missed beating the train, oh, which wow. which means I have to go back at some point oh, in my wow. life and can do that. No, you've got uh, business. Oh, so what was the distance? I think it wasn't too far. It's about 15 or 20 kilometers okay. or something. I really wasn't too sure at all. But still, uh, for someone going, like yeah. not really running a lot, to do that just out of the blue is yeah. big. <laughs> yeah, I think, look, firstly, um, I'd, I'd always, I was fairly fit. Mm. I'd always kept healthy. Yeah. You know, I would, I would do things every now and then. Yeah. Um, but I'm fairly spontaneous in a yeah. lot of my actions and I like to live life. Yeah. So it's like, why not? And again, it's, it's one of those memories that I'll cherish forever. Mm. It's nothing to lose, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing to lose. You know, we're all perishable items, right? Yeah. <laughs> so life is there. You know, I don't always follow this advice myself, but I try and look around. I try and take everything in. Mm. I try to consume stuff. Yeah. You know, even where we are now, you know, it's, it was, it was quite different from what I expected. I walked into it and you're like, wow, this is incredible. And you just very present. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. what year did you do Marathon de Sable? 2014. 2014. So between 2014 now and 2022, you started the race. Yes. Or yeah, the, the row across yep. the ocean. Yep. Talk us through what led to that. Like, you know, you finished an ultra run, which I, you know, I've seen documentaries about yeah, MDS. It's insane. Yeah. And it is insane. <laughs> it looks challenge. like, yeah any beyond anything I've done yeah. personally, I feel. So you come back. I mean, that's, you know, this, that's a huge accomplishment. I don't want to say it's a long time between, but how did, how did the, what sowed the seeds for you to start thinking about rowing across you the Atlantic Ocean? Yes. Is there a book that you found that then got you into rowing? Yeah, there was. So <laughs> the, I, I think without realizing my interest in rowing the Atlantic, you know, kind of started well before I'd completed MDS. Yeah. Oh. I just, didn't realize quite how much it had captivated me. Right. I knew there was a point of interest. I'd stumbled across somebody that had this thing that they would take you across an ocean. They were a fascinating individual. They told me about a book called The Penance Way. I read the book. I became fascinated by the mindset of individuals that take on the challenges. What's the process? Mm-hmm. You know, what do they do in order to get there? Mm-hmm. Because they're kind of doing things they've never done before. So doing everything for the first time. So how, how do you get to that point? And throughout this time when I was kind of training for MDS, when I was working on the bid for World Expo, so I didn't have much time. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd be working till one, two o'clock in the morning and I'd be up at 5am to do a run for as long as I could, mm-hmm. often driving out to the desert. But in the in the background to all of this, completely unknown to me, I was reading these books about rowing the ocean. I'd started to take photos and study what certain things would look like on a boat. And it, and it just led to a path. And I continued to run. I continued to take on other challenges and ultra endurance events. I like to, typically my thing is where it's a couple of dates mm-hmm. and where it's not just physical, it's mental. Yeah. yeah. 
You know, that's where it really is because yeah. it's not just about getting from point A to B. Mm. It's how you're going to do it. Mm. What's the process? Mm. What do you need to know to be able to achieve it? You can't just pitch up and do it. But again, I come back to what you just said about neither of you have done things like this. You know, you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, ish, not, I'm not alone here. I'm not alone here. And, and so it's actually one where I think the challenges and trials that we have in everyday life kind of prepare us for this. I think mm. so too, yeah. And, Absolutely. And so in some ways, yes, I've achieved things that deem to be not incredible, but tough. Mm. But I genuinely believe that almost anyone listening to this could do what I did with the MDS. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, 100%. It's yeah. just learning the process mm-hmm. and, and delivering on that. So you said you read a lot of books and you were trying to understand the mindset of these individuals who took on such expeditions and yes. challenges. Yeah. To me, you had already had that sort of mindset mm-hmm. considering, you know, you had been doing everything. You were very spontaneous and you were always looking for that next great thing that would like spark that inner excitement in you. Yes. So then what was the insight you received from these books, which was different from the mindset that you had already fostered for yourself? Yeah, I, I, I had drive, right. but I love to learn from everybody. Mm. You know, your, your, your cycle race, you know, the decision making various elements there, you know, you can, you can learn from absolutely everybody you mm-hmm. meet. So what is it you're going to learn? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that you're not an active participant in a conversation or anything like that. It's more, um, you know, not, I guess, the mindset, but process. Mm. You know, so th- there is an element of drive there, but what steps do they have to take? Because frankly, those steps you can apply to anything, mm-hmm. you know, because they solve problems, they solve challenges yeah. and we all face complex challenges throughout our lives. Yeah. So what steps do I need in order to complete those challenges? Be they at work, be they at home, you know, be they as part of an ultra race. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's applicable to everything. Yeah. And the, I think with the mindset, you also get a lot of warmth from these people. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking about the group that I met when I started doing runs in the desert here. You know, without them showing me the generosity, the kindness, everything, Mm. you know, you've got CEOs, you've got chefs, just a full range. In fact, typically you find out what they do last, Yeah, but they're just such amazing people and lovely people in their own right. It's just a nice community to hang out with. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree that about the ultra community, like I've never met a kinder, more generous with their time and advice. Yeah. And camaraderie. And yeah, you don't know anything about them other than that they're, you know, really accomplished in running and then you're like, oh, they're super accomplished out of life. Yes. But it's interesting what you said um, about, you know, life preparing you for these challenges. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people look at sport as a way to say, oh, if I achieve in sport, then I can achieve in other areas. But it's almost like the inverse, you know, like you start pushing your limits in business or in life, moving to new countries. And then, you know, you're like, I can apply this to a huge physical and mental challenge as well. But it's it's like, you know, for a lot of people, sport is a passion. Mm -hmm. And it helps with the drive for it. Yeah. You know, if you're following and 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 going after something you absolutely love, it's just a bit easier. Yeah. And you know, as, as you say once once they unravel some of the complexities of these challenges, then you can apply them anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, I take everything, especially from the row. You know, I, I apply that now in everything I do every day. Mm-hmm. And I try and keep notes and different things so I can just stay on top of it so I can refresh and continue mm-hmm. to learn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think reflection is so important too. 100%. You know, I think often, like you said, you know, on to the next, a lot of our guests are like that, but it's always about taking a moment. Like, what did you actually absorb from that challenge? What did you learn and how can you apply that? Yeah, to make your life more fun and better. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've been doing that with 
like journaling and stuff, but we've also realized that this platform gives us a very good yeah. opportunity to reflect on some of our challenges and achievements through our guests as well, just kind of listening to them and then kind of reflecting on what we've done and what more we can achieve. So yeah, learning is just a very, very good uh, way to like yeah. know, process. So, you know, you've had this in your mind, you've decided now you're going to row across the Atlantic. How did you start? You know, what was, was there yeah. a moment? You when was that at? decision? Yeah, when actually. was when it? When was that decision? And how did you actually, you know, what yeah. were the first steps in yeah. your mind? Yeah. So um, I'd done a lot of research, hours and hours and hours, again, without fully realizing that I was going to do it. <laughs> but I just, I like to study and learn. Yeah. So I, I had all this data, I had all this information, I knew all the little elements and I, and then I applied it in my mind to a, a row of my own or one I was part of. Mm -hmm. So what would I do differently? And there's lots of little quirks and things. Um, be, I, generally this, this kind of got momentum after I was involved in a project called True North um, during Expo. Mm -hmm. You know, when this boat is is going across the water, um, it, it was given to me to help look after. I was helping to, you know, devise a strategy for it. Right. And and somebody had turned around and said, you know, what would your boat look like? Because they knew I was, <laughs> I was reading these books. Uh, and jokingly, I kind of sketched it out. And what yeah. I sketched out was one of the first ocean rowing boats from 1966. Because frankly, they haven't changed too much yeah. in all that time. The materials have changed, but the boats look the same. Yeah. And so I sketched it out. They said, that's great. But what, what, what would you do differently? Because I said this is like this boat called Puffin. And they said, well, I'd do this and I'd do that. And so I'd started to make edits and changes to it based on my knowledge that I'd accumulated mm -hmm. without even having touched the water. And they said, this is great. You've got to do this. This, this. You know, this is for you. And then I kind of went home. I spoke to other people and they said, look, can I do this? And it's like, no. Uh, and then, you know, other people definitely, <laughs> you'll never make naysayers? it. Who <laughs> Primarily family members. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I rely a lot on family for yeah, support. Yeah. You know, they, they really are the backbone for everything, yeah, as are other enough. people. And, you know, now what do you know about the ocean? What qualifications? <laughs> how many ocean rowing things? How many sea <laughs> rowing? You know, what rowing qualification? I had nothing. Yeah. Nothing in my bag, nothing in the yeah. tank. Just a load of pictures and scribbled notes. Yeah. I just gathered momentum from there. And I just thought, if I'm going to do this, I have to take that first step. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified in all honesty, mm -hmm. because financially, it's a massive commitment, yeah. Yeah. massive commitment. Mm -hmm. But not just that, I had just no guarantee of the outcome. Yeah. yeah. And eventually after a number of different conversations and a bit of planning and really an, an understanding of my thirst for venture, and this was definitely something that was on my radar and something I wanted to do. I kind of, I, I went back in and just was like, okay, where are we with this? You know, why are you doing all these notes? Mm -hmm. And I just thought this is the last great adventure on this planet. Mm -hmm. You know, and how many people have done it so far? It's difficult to say right. because records are so sketchy. Right. You know, you, you will suddenly get a person with a determination who finds finds a boat and they've made their way across the Atlantic right. and the records aren't there. Okay. I know that sounds pretty impossible, but this is what life has been like for ocean yeah. rowing. Mm -hmm. You know, in some ways it's been around for a long time. In other ways, it's completely new. Mm -hmm. And so I, I started to find out, well, how can I build my boat? Mm. And I got my, I started to build the boat with the help of a company in the UK, um, with no experience, no nothing. <laughs> they didn't have any experience. No, they had experience. Yeah, they, they, they were, I was like, what? Why? They, they, they were the go-to. Yeah. Uh, they were the go-to. And it's difficult. What, you know, who are the go-to? Yeah. Mm. You know, it, you, you get differing opinions. Yeah. 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 Do you go to Range Rover? Do you go to Porsche? Do you go to Ferrari? Mm -hmm. You know, but it, again, it comes back to what outcome do you want to get from this? Mm -hmm. And my outcome from the very beginning was just to get to the other side. Mm -hmm. yeah. In fact, I visualized a picture of people holding flares mm. and that was my moment. My moment was just holding the flares, nothing else, nothing more. Because 
because if you held the flares in the air, it meant you got to the other side. Yeah. And that was it. And I kind of, I just dreamed about that moment mm. and I held that moment. And then all of a sudden, you know, there was, there was a lot of work and I'm getting asked questions what, about electronics, about solar panels. I'm having to study, learn yeah. everything. What? what do I need? Yeah, honestly. <laughs> I knew about solar panels because I'd been up to Mazda. Yeah, you know yeah. that was the extent of my knowledge. Yeah, but again, you start studying all these things, learning about it. What kind of power capacity? What do we want the boat? You know, what what should it be made from? Mm-hmm. Is it just fiberglass or carbon fiber? Mm-hmm. And all these difficult things. I I didn't even know the difference. So you have to study that. Yeah. So. And Sorry. and what was this was happening in 2020? Is it? This is kind of like this all started in in 2020. The actual boat building okay. through to 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 really 2021. Mm. It was it was all out. Right. And in 2022, it was just all. Sorry, no, 2021. It was all out, and yeah. that was it. And deep in the pandemic, right in the middle yeah. of yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't a reaction to that or anything. This was just part of my life plan. Mm. Yeah. And it was something that I was continuing. And you know, the pandemic was completely separate. Yeah. In fact, if anything, it gave me a tiny bit more time at Damn, night exactly just to look. I was going to say, yeah. Um, but yeah, there was no reaction, no, no, nothing. I was just as business as usual. Yeah. So you were talking about, you know, not knowing the outcome of it, right? Yeah. You had visualized yourself finishing and not knowing the outcome. I mean, I'm a very controlled person, and um, I said I would never do an ultra race with another person. And then this last race I did, we all kind of, you know paired up in a lot of ways because it's hard having, you know, you know, you're a very driven person, you know what you're capable of, but you couldn't do this alone. No. Two teammates. Yeah. Yeah. How did you find them? With great difficulty. (laughs) You know, it's with ocean rowing, not many people want to do it. Unsurprisingly, (laughs) you know, it really is in some ways it's quite dangerous. In other ways, if you follow simple steps, Plus you hadn't done it. So uh, yeah, for that, someone to kind of go like, okay, I will I'm do it follow with this, this person guy. <laughs> who hasn't yeah. done it before, but oh, oh good, we'll just put our life but in I, his hands. I had a proven <laughs> history of solving complex challenges. Right. right. And so as, as a consequence, when I did start the boat building process, I really, I, I became so clued up on every single element. You know, yeah. what do I need to know and why? Hmm. And that included trying to find a team. The difficulty was that nobody wants to row an ocean. Hmm. Yeah. And in fact, those that do want to row an ocean, they either say, I'll die trying, in which case you're like, okay, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Or they do, but they can't take the time off. Yeah. yeah. You know, so eventually it's I, a long I journey. it is, it is. And you know, the commitment, yeah. you know, they, they say that, yeah, the hardest yeah. bit is just getting to the start line. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's renowned. Ocean rowing is one of the, the sports where it's the, the teams just change all the time mm-hmm. because somebody goes all in. I, w- I, I want to do this. I'm, I'm in. And then actually when you see the commitment that's involved, it's endless. Yeah. Because you started with three other teammates. We, we, so right? we, yeah, we started with three other, then yeah. it dropped to two others. Mm-hmm. And you know, when, when I reached the start line in La Gomera and there were other boats, et cetera, there, you know, it was very common. Hmm. Very common. People had dropped from, you know, kind of four to three. Some had gone from three to two. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, it's it's just the way it is. You know, even now, as I look at people hoping to take on a similar challenge this year, and I'm I kind of in conversation with a lot of them, they're saying, okay, how do you manage this and that? You know, the kind of team dynamic and, you know, the lack of dynamic quite often has mm-hmm. proved to be the case in our scenario eventually. But it was one where it's just, it is relentless. Mm. It is day and night to the point where eventually I was like, okay, I, I've got to give up my job. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm committed to crossing the ocean. That is what I'm going to Did do. Did you have to do that? Yeah, I gave up my job. Mm. 
And again, you know, you talked about not knowing the outcome and control person. I'm yeah. extremely controlled. <laughs> yeah. I like to know every single second of every single mm, day, yes. but at the same time, that's where the beauty of life is. Yeah. Also completely letting go. Yeah. In a controlled way where you know the direction of travel. Mm. Yeah. But you're you have a roadmap. You've got a roadmap. Yeah. But you've got to surrender yourself to these mm. things. You know, if they don't scare you, what's the point? Yeah. Leave room for magic. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you've decided you've left your job. What is then training looking like for you? Because it's now taken, like it's consumed you. Uh, you have a family. You've decided to lo- leave your job. But then training in the UAE, what does that look like? I think that training in the UAE is, is amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Simply because I can train all year round. Yeah. Right. And not just actually access to facilities. Mm. You know, so going back to MDS, okay, fine, you need the deserts and stuff. Yeah. But it's not just that, it's everything else. It's, it's the yoga, it's the Pilates, it's the access to swimming. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a full complement of skills and types of training that you need. And it's all very accessible. Yeah. You know, if I was in London, my dreams would never have happened. Mm. It is as simple as that. You know, it'd be a two hour journey down to the coast, try mm. and get a boat. Yeah. You know, when do we do that? What's weather conditions? The whole thing. It's just living here has been a game changer for me. Mm. And I think living in the region, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in this whole region, even if you're in Saudi, you know, the accessibility to, to certain facilities is just incredible. Mm-hmm. That's true. So, I, you know, for me, training here wasn't an issue at all. It was it was actually a help. And, and an did advantage. you have to like train together very often or were you doing it on your own? And like complementary to the rowing itself, what else did you need to do in terms of like nutrition and like training in the gym? gym, all of that. Yeah, but you, you know, training's an extremely physical sport. Yeah. And, you know, you're doing it for a long time, day mm-hmm. after day. Mm-hmm. So it's hours and hours on a rowing machine. Mm. It's hours and hours doing weights. And um, for me, because I'm quite inflexible and I get injured, I need hours and hours of Pilates, mm-hmm. of yoga. Okay. Um, but also mindfulness training. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a range yeah. of different skill sets. Because you have to be so calm, I think, at certain points, like, you know, when the going gets tough, I guess you have to just like yeah, the- channel... All that calmness. Right? Yeah, with the ocean rain, there's nothing but tough. Yeah, mm. exactly. There is, there, exactly. Is, there is no, you know, it is 18 to 20 hour days. Yeah. How did you train yourself? Because we had a conversation the other day and I was saying, you know, my last race in Rwanda, I was like, resupply was limited. <laughs> I'm in on land, you know, and I'm mm. around in a heavily populated uh, country. And I just got thinking as we were chatting that you're out on the ocean and there's nothing. Nothing. Mm -hmm. There is nothing around. How did you mentally prepare yourself to feel, I guess, in one respect, surrounded by two other people all the time, like never alone, but then also completely alone. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because yeah, I used to have a poster in my room when I was growing up so as a picture of a surfer and it said kind of face your fears and live your dreams. Mm. And and with that respect, I kind of just went in early on facing my fears, primarily initially from a mental perspective. Mm-hmm. Um and it's you know, it's it's you you realize early on that this is quite different. Mm-hmm. That it's it's going to test you beyond anything you ever know. Mm-hmm. You know, take what you know and put that to one side mm-hmm. because as soon as you go out there, it is just is rough, it is raw, and you're not fighting for your life, but certainly if you make a mistake, it's going to be costly. Mm-hmm. And so from the, the training perspective, um, you know, and getting prepared, we had to do everything from the food. Mm. You know, we 
there was a suggestion at one point that we were going to confine ourselves to a very small area for 24 hours and just saw how we all got on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Did so, you do that? No, we didn't because it, it's time. It's time. Yeah. And, you know, this isn't everyone's dream. Yeah. And everyone has jobs and stuff and mm-hmm. other people were working till 10 o'clock at night. And so, you know, our, our training was incredibly difficult and we didn't often get to train as a team. Mm. You know, and that was just principally because life goes on. Yeah. But then you have to just surrender yourself to that and say, fine, we are where we are. Mm. And you, you, it, it is about saying, I'm here. Mm. Nothing's going to change. What can I do from this point onwards? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is it. Like circling back to, you know, you talking about the team dynamics yes. and your teammates. I just yes. want to know a little bit about them. Like, did they have the certain skills that you were looking for? And how did you find them? Because you said it was very difficult to find these teammates of yours. Yeah. So within the UAE alone, I probably found about 30 people mm. who I thought might make great candidates to come on the row. And how did that happen? Like, what were you doing? Were you putting feelers out? Or were you just walking into like you know, networking? I was just having, yeah, no, I was just having general <laughs> conversations. You were part of an ultra community anyway. So I'm pretty sure you were having people with the same mindset that you were kind of networking yes, with. Anyways. Yes, there were there were people of the same mindset, but you know, this was very much rowing a water-based is, exactly. thing. And yeah. I, I think the idea of rowing mm. initially put some people off because mm. they thought that was a thing. Yeah. You know, it's it's like when you're cycling, you you are cycling. Yeah. And with this it's it's much greater than just rowing. Yeah. You know, rowing is a means of movement mm-hmm. within this project. It is you know obviously it's a, a large part of it, but there's so much more to it. Yeah. And that's what makes it so exciting. Um, So in terms of selection, I I looked at how people are selected elsewhere, how they selected for, you know, elite things, uh, how do they do it in the Olympics? What's the process used? And luckily I've had access to those sorts of people in the past. And generally you find people in sports are very happy to answer questions. You know, you go there and you just say, look, this is what I'm trying to do. Can I have 10 minutes of your time? Mm -hmm. So I looked through processes of selection and what the best route forward was. And I applied that to this. And, you know, I ended up with somebody who works in recruitment and a vet. So obviously the two best candidates. Um, but it, it was one where it's, it's partially mindset, it's partially attitude. But ultimately with, with our adventure, it was also availability. Mm-hmm. Because as I said, it's, it's just <laughs> yeah. one where... It could be an know, ideal candidate, but if you're not yeah, available... Yeah. And, and there, there was so many people like, okay, well, can you do this then? Yeah. And I was desperate. You know, I really wanted to. There was a point where I wanted to make it a mixed team. Yeah. And I'd love to have done that, but just timing didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, oh, can you go here? And I considered it. But it's... Um, we went under the umbrella of something called Atlantic Campaigns mm-hmm. in the end. And part of the reason we did that was for a safety element. But actually, the more you understood, the more you just realized you're out there on your own anyway. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, it's irrelevant because the people called Nate and Rescue are based where they're based. Yeah. Like it, on the Atlantic, when you get into trouble, it's actually out of uh, Falmouth in Cornwall that they right. coordinate the rescue. Right. So eventually I was like, well, let's just do it on our own. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in terms of the, from a selection perspective, I just got help. I got advice. It came down to eventually a list of the different strengths and the requirements and then we just did a score and I had a couple of other people help me with this and that, that's the thing I probably find most difficult about this whole row I have a lot of people that I didn't know before the row mm-hmm. you know it's very difficult because a lot of them don't want to be named because it's like they were doing it in their work time and yeah. but <laughs> You know, it wasn't just us. Yeah. yeah. You know, there were three people on the boat that crossed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But honestly, you know, there was a, a lady called Hannah that did our social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, she just picked it up and ran with it and did the most amazing job with tiny bits of information, you know, snippets of this. Yeah. yeah. And that was just our social media. Yeah. You know, there was a, a guy called Andy who, who who's kind of very prominent regionally 
when it comes to marinas and maritime. And, you know, without him, we would never have got to the start line, mm-hmm. never got to the start line. That single individual and their contribution, you know, so it, it's really difficult sometimes to talk about team because yeah, where did the team true. begin and where did the team end? Yeah. yeah, but I've also felt like when someone's got such a big dream and vision, there are lots of people who want to kind of support in any small way possible. Yeah, well. when you step just, forward yeah. to do something big, you're so, I mean, in my experience, like, I mean, my big is very small, I feel like compared to yours, but you're just so surprised by people coming out of nowhere you know people you didn't know about exactly. cheering you on supporting yeah. you you know before the unsupported Connect, part yeah. <laughs> yeah connecting you it's just it's beautiful yeah yeah it, there, there really was that help yeah you know another chap called Richard who again doesn't always want to be named but he <laughs> <We> um, <added> <laughs> um, he's like you know around August time I was really struggling mm. you know that the boat was having to go we weren't quite achieving every single goal we wanted to at that yeah. point yeah you know there was uh discussion I was having with some other people about the direction we were going to move forward in. And he just said, you're doing great. Stick with it. Mm-hmm. Stick with it. And there were so many times I said earlier, I, I never quit, but there were so many times I wanted to, yeah. you know, it's not that I just say, oh, I'm not going to quit how tough I am. Yeah. Yeah. No, nothing like that. Yeah. It was basically because of the help and support and guidance from other people that mm. I didn't. Yeah. And them stepping in, but also it requires honesty from my perspective and being true with them, but their help and support and guidance, like honestly, and that's the most difficult thing coming back, mm. frankly, is how do you say thank you? Like I've given mm. some of them gifts and I just feel like it's empty. Yeah. You know, oh, there you go. Thanks for your help. You know, what's that? Mm. But I think that your achievement, that was their achievement as well. A hundred percent. And I said this to them, yeah. you know, I said, do not be shy in going forward. Yeah. yeah. You know, you were a key part of this. Yeah. You know, you were a key part, but again, it's not frustrating but it's just like it's just so in their character yeah. they're like we were just delighted to see you get to the end yeah and, that, and that's great but you know I'm kind of left with this feeling of this not a burden it's a positive thing but it's this I really want to say thank you yeah yeah, yeah. and you know when the boat comes back I'll probably have an event and there'll be a chance and you know maybe I call them up onto a stage and thank them in front of people but it's something that needs to be addressed yeah, yeah. now I want to get into the actual like being out there yeah. in the ocean <laughs> Because I've been following along on social media and there was one, you know, as I said, I'm from an island, the ocean, I've got a healthy respect for the ocean because I've been on a boat for a week with my father. My father's a marine engineer and it's terrifying sometimes, Mm. but also what's in the ocean. There's one video of like, I think a shark is circling you guys. We go back to the day you actually start. How did you feel when you were ready to start? Yeah, I don't think you were ever ready to start. Mm. And I think that's that's with all ultra things. You know, don't overthink the beginning. Mm. You know, I'll never forget when I did Marathon de Saab, um, de Saab, I stood next to somebody from here and uh, Fabrice and, you know, he he was kind of, we were both almost in tears because we were there, we were pumped. You know, you can imagine the atmosphere, the music's going. Yeah. You're on the start line of Marathon de Saab and it's just like, this is a moment in time. Wow. And, you know, I got caught up in where I was right then, mm. you know, and they deliberately put the music on and, you know, Fabrice and I were hugging each other. It's like, let's just do this. Let's nail it. Let's, hyping, let's, hyping let's, each other. Yeah. Up, yeah. And it wasn't because we were never going to win the thing, frankly, yeah. let's be honest. We were lucky yeah. to get through each day, but I got caught in the emotion. Mm. Yeah. And th- that was a massive learning for me. So actually, you know, talk about the start of the row. Um, we just own the start, mm. you know, from the day before I was very clear on what I was going to do, how I was going to sleep how I was going to turn up, what I was going to wear and what the exit was going to look like. Mm -hmm. 
And so it was a process. Mm. And, you know, with all these things, I, I break things down now into three. What mm. three things can I win at that day? Mm. And I just focus on those things. Yeah. And it's also owning that hour. Yeah. What do I need to do in that hour? Mm. I don't need to do anything but think about what I need to achieve. Right. Mm. And so for the start, really, you know, there's a lot of music. It's time. Boats are setting off. Everyone's pumped. Families are there. There's an awful lot of tears. But I just focused on the fact that we were going to pull out and I had to move the thing because I was steering mm. the boat. We're going to go to the right. I was going to lift my hand and wave and I was going to make sure I smiled and I made sure that I just consumed that moment in time. Mm. You know, you, take it in. Yeah, just I'm probably never going to get that again. So you set off in December. Yes, December the 12th or 13th. Is, so there's a season for this to happen. I imagine. Yeah, there, there kind of is. Yeah. You know, it depends on who you ask as to when you should go. Yeah. As I said, I went under the umbrella of an organization yeah. to help, you know, principally from the safety perspective right. and, and ticking certain boxes. But ultimately, you know, if you ask other people, they'd say, no, you should set off in February. You know, it's to do with the trade winds. It's mm. to do with the weather mm. systems. There's a range of different elements involved and everyone's an expert, right? Mm. So it's, you know, they all have an opinion. Yeah. So yeah, there, there is a kind of window, but that window is changing. And, and as a, we arrived in La Gomera, mm. there was the most wonderful storm oh out in the middle of the ocean <laughs> and I've got we're that watching oh, it wow. like, yeah we were there <laughs> and you know you've taken on this challenge you know you're going to face storms out there you know there's nothing yeah. you can do about it but kind of you don't want to see it at the yeah, start yeah you just though. don't want to walk out <laughs> into it you know what I mean it's like no yeah like, imagine going swimming in a swimming pool knowing there's a shark in there yeah. you just don't want to jump in the water yeah. at that particular yeah. time yeah but we didn't we we as 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 I'd done from the very beginning, you know, there was somebody in particular who'd been very kind in mm. terms of their time and their advice, uh, a lady called Lizzie. And I just trusted her implicitly. You know, she had, she's done the crossing. She's as hard as nails. She's empathetic. She's mm. kind. She's generous. And yeah, she she just said, look, Tobes, this is, this is my advice. This is what you should do. And then one of my teammates came along, they heard what she was saying. So, you know, from our perspective, it was south, south, south. Mm. Um, but you just have to own that moment, you know, the beginning. Mm. But as well as owning it, you savor it. You have to savor it. Mm. So, so be there, smile, wave, but just think this is a dream that was kind of 10 or so years in the making. Yeah. Don't waste that second of time, yeah. mm. you know, be part of it. How do you separate the pressure of that though, as well? Like, you know, for me, if it's 10 years in the making, it's almost like a lot of pressure on yourself, right? Thinking about what's going to happen. Yes. It's, and you can't let that affect you no, either. You, you can't. You can't let it affect anything That's you where ever do. That's the mindfulness comes mm. about. Yeah, the, the mindfulness, all <laughs> yeah. the different studies, talking yeah. to other people. But mm -hmm. ultimately, that's where I focus on what am I going to do to win that hour? Yeah. Yeah. The you know, three things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. what, what, what do I need to do mm. functionally? Mm. And you just pre-prepare for that yeah. functional activity. Yeah. So there is no pressure. There's nothing to think about but those three things. Yeah. Sorry. Don't so talk us it. through the first couple of days. Mm. Actually, just before that, yep. were you expecting to do it in a certain number of days? And did you like surpass that? Or yeah, so we, we, we'd gone out quite early to say okay. this wasn't a race for us. Mm. We genuinely thought it was between 40 and 60. Mm. And that depends on the weather, how we are everything really. Mm. And okay, we complete these tasks and these ultra running things, but I never considered myself to be an athlete. Mm. Yeah. I considered myself to be somebody that's really pushing the boundary of life and mm -hmm. trying to squeeze everything I can out of it. Mm -hmm. And so with that in mind, when I go into these things, it was like, okay, we'll do it in this time frame, mm. 40 to 60 days. And in the end, you know, we did it in 42, which if you had told me, despite all the study or the research I'd done that we would do it in 42 days, I wouldn't have believed you. Mm -hmm. And again, the, the community there, they were just so kind yeah. and everyone 
everyone else was like, basically, we were all going to see them at the end and they were going to get everything ready and we'd have a massive celebration with all of them. We beat everyone. And it was just... It was <laughs> you just, shut up and there was no one there. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just... And, and I care deeply for all those other people. I yeah. genuinely do. I kind of formed connections before the road that has stayed with me now mm. from people I'd only met a couple of days before mm-hmm. that were out in the water. Yeah. And, and they're like, you guys were incredible. And I was watching them and there was an honest conversation we had at one point about whether we continued to overtake a certain team. Mm. Because, you know, what did it mean to them? Yeah. You know, what they obviously were going all out because everything we did, they then copied. <laughs> and so, but and it seems Ooh. crazy and I don't want to seem disingenuous or mm. anything, but I honestly, I spoke to my wife, I spoke to the guys on the boat. It was like, you know, this team are going for something and there's a reason for it mm. and we're not. Yeah. So do we need to be putting this much pressure on at this time? Um, but the, coming back to the first couple of days, yeah, it's a baptism of fire. Mm. You know, you, you, you studied, you've heard about the big ships that are going to come past. I remember that very first night. So you, you, you row backwards, right? So you can't yeah. really see, you know, and it's impossible in the darkness. It's yeah. like literally like having your hands over your eyes. You can't see anything. And within a, within like two hours, you can't see any other rowing boats, nothing. Mm-hmm. And then this giant cargo ship, I'll never forget. I saw it, I was like, okay, how can I tell if it's on our route? You know, where are we? Because I was rowing at that time and we've got certain equipment that can help with that. But ultimately you need to make a judgment call. Mm. And so I said to one of the other teammates, you know, let's let's call them up. And there was a slight nervousness. Do we jump on the radio now? What do we do? And this thing was getting closer and closer. So the, the first couple of days was tricky. There's a thing called a power anchor that you can put out. And um, that really kind of helps stop you in big seas and rough right. weather. And the first night we smashed it out of the park. Like we kind of, it was just a complete blur. And so we got, but the cargo ship came by, we tried to radio it, they didn't respond. <laughs> they came quite close, but anyway, we survived. We still can see land, which is surprising. We had phone signal, which is bizarre. And yeah. We're getting all these messages, yeah. just like you're killing it. And we're like, okay, great. <laughs> and and I think the second night was the start of the realization of where we were. We'd had some dolphins around us, a, a whale breached oh, in front of us. And that was beautiful, beautiful absolutely yeah. beautiful. But you know, there was, I think, some concern on the boat on the second night. And one thing led to another and there's a decision taken to put out the paranka. Mm-hmm. You know, did we need to? Possibly not. But was it the right call in that circumstances with the team where they were? A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. And actually then the third night, again, you know, we put out the paranka. We were probably the only team to have done that. Mm. And so everyone's now looking at us thinking, okay, yeah, it's going to be the world's longest journey. Because when you're on <laughs> paranka, yeah, you just, yeah. you just don't move at all. You move kind of, I remember one night we moved half a kilometer. Right. And that's a great thing. You know, it's working. Yeah. <laughs> the difficulty is we hadn't really had the chance to practice with the paranka because right. the, the water here yeah. in the UAE is so shallow yeah. and various other things, logistical yeah. challenges. So then there was just a decision made that we were going to go as far as we could without that. Mm-hmm. You know, when are we going to stop this practice mm. and why are we here? Mm. And then kind of collectively we came together around that. And then we had our first night off the paranka apart from the first night and then the second night. And it was intriguing because we hit a massive storm, mm-hmm. a massive storm. And like the waves start to get bigger and we're getting information because we don't have and a weather. And this is in the first few days. Of the the, the massive season. storm was about 10 days in, mm. but we didn't have a weather router. So we were basically getting information from, a, again, a friend of mine here, <laughs> an accountant, obviously qualified to do that sort of thing. <laughs> and he was he's a great person with facts, figures, a, a chap called Gerard that some people listening will know. Yeah. And again, he's he's done MDS, yeah, but he just loves data. He loves information and mm. I trust him totally. Yeah, And he wasn't expecting to play this role he said there was a weather system he just said there's a weather system coming in you might just want to keep a close eye on it and Mm. said well can you keep me updated tell me what that looks like so in the mornings he would just he started sending through these text messages to the satellite phone that we were interpreting and and suddenly the waves got bigger and bigger and bigger and on about day 10 they were were significant Mm. 
mm. significant waves where frankly you're kind of rowing but you're frankly also just trying to keep the boat upright mm. and it, it was you know you asked about being scared mm. it was terrifying mm. but you know anything that's new is scary right yeah. so what are you going to do mm. and how are you going to do it and you know they say kind of courage is I think fear in motion yeah. and that's all that happened we just grew bigger right. you have to grow yeah This episode is supported by Deep Dive Dubai. We know that our listeners love awesome adventures. And take it from us, it doesn't get more awe-inspiring than the world's deepest pool. Measuring a record-breaking 60 meters, Deep Dive Dubai gives both scuba and freedivers the ability to discover an underwater world complete with the latest in dive technology and an abandoned sunken city. For those new to diving, like me, it's the ideal place to get started. And for those experienced to expert divers out there, it's the perfect place to hone your skills with exceptional facilities, expert staff, and state-of-the-art technology. Since it opened in 2021, it has mesmerized visitors and continues to deliver extraordinary experiences seven days a week. For more information and to book your experience, visit deepdivedubai.com. So when you're in the boat, are you rowing for an hour, two hours? What is that looking like? What is sleep looking like? What is food looking like? Yeah. Is there always <laughs> someone rowing? Yeah, there's always somebody on the oars. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think the the thing very early, I'd asked the team to come up with a schedule. Hmm. Like what was the pattern going to look like? Now, there were known kind of ocean rowing schedules, which is typically row for two hours, rest for two hours, mm-hmm. row for two hours, and you press repeat. But, you know, what suits you? What suits the team? Mm-hmm. So I'd ask them to come up with three ideas and then just note it down. And and one of the team did that. He's great with spreadsheets. He put something together. So it was a rotor. And then that rotor was laminated and it was put on the side of the boat. Mm-hmm. And so we knew what to do. And we also knew what would happen if we weren't comfortable with that, what the second setup might look like. Because mm-hmm. you talk about sleep. You know, so so for us, the rotor during the day was two hours on the oars, mm. giving it all you've got, mm. and then you're you're resting for one hour, mm-hmm. and then you're back on the oars, mm. and then you're back, you know, resting. Then you're on the oars, yeah. and within that rest time, you know, is there something broken on the boat? Do we need to try and desalinate water because mm. you have to desalinate all your own water? So there are other chores. That oh, loads of other on. chores. Yeah, it's yeah, endless. Yeah. And then it's <laughs> and then it's like, well, I've forgotten to eat. Yeah, I mean, but no, like five minutes. And, you and, you need to and it's like, can you digest the food? And it's it's powdered food. But what food. is this food? Like, so, what have you carried with you? So we we you have to carry everything basically you need yeah. for the whole journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we had roughly 60 days worth of food, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a bit more. And it's it's essentially high calorie stuff. Mm-hmm. So you're looking to take about 6,000 calories a day. I mm-hmm. think mine was about six and a half thousand calories a day um, and it's a combination of technical food so you kind of powdered stuff that's you know you add water mm, and yeah. there's your meal yeah um the pictures do not look like what you get but anyway that's a separate <laughs> issue and again you know we, we'd started trying this well before the row mm, yeah just to get our bodies wanna, used to mm, it you don't want to be out there you don't yeah. like yeah. GI issues. Like, agree with me yeah like gi issues <laughs> and, uh, and it shows with how, seasickness oh my how gosh. different everyone is because <laughs> You know, one person went exclusively pretty much for wet meals, which is yeah. kind of, you know, so you don't have to cook it. Yeah. They've got a military background. So for them, that worked well. For me, again, through my studies, I'd, I'd learned a bit more about potluck. Mm. And so actually when, while I had the right food for each day, we then mixed it all up. And we put together these these packs. So I had enough calories, but I didn't know what was in that day's pack. Mm. So they all wrapped up. It was a bit of a surprise. Uh, you put your yeah. hand in, you pull it out. And some days it was joyous and other days it wasn't so good. <laughs> um, but so typically during the day, it's kind of powdered food. Right. You add 400 to 1,000 calories per mm-hmm. meal, depending mm-hmm. on what it is. And then in the evenings, I had gone for a lot of sweets. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the reason being is because you can't see very much mm. and you don't want to try to make something. Mm-hmm. You know, hot water in the dark, yeah. it just doesn't bode well. And what if it's not hot water? Mm. And it's another thousand calorie wet meal mm. that's kind of cold, hard to consume. And so I needed something slightly joyous. Mm. I really, mm-hmm. now I'm a practitioner for, for finding joy. Yeah. And so I'd, it was just all these amazing sweets and stuff and easy to consume. If I couldn't eat too much, you'd kind of put the rest away. Yeah. But yeah, you, you see, you're consuming an awful lot. That's interesting. During this whole time, like, was there ever a moment that kind of really cemented, you know, like, this is 10 years in the making. I'm actually sitting here doing this now. Yeah, it's so again, another person, Brian DeFrancesca, um, did MDS. He did it the year before me. And during MDS, uh, there's a long stage where you, you run more than just one marathon. Mm. You know, you run two marathons, essentially, or a bit more. Well, my thing, I think I did 92 kilometers that day. And he said on the fourth stage, because that's the cutoff point, on the fourth stage, once you get there and you know you're secure for the rest of the journey, just take a seat and look around you and just breathe in. Mm. And so I did a similar thing on the row. I've always carried that advice with me. I did it at NDS. And so almost every night when I was on the oars, I'd take five minutes within, I'd keep rowing, yeah. but I'd just detach and I'd just look up. I'd breathe in. I'd be very conscious of where I was. Mm-hmm. And that to me was cementing how much it taken to get there. Mm. And it allowed me to be very present. And it just allowed me also to be very thankful, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then you just become, because of the environment you're in, the harshness of it, the brutality of it, the relentless of it, you, you not only become very humble, but you also just become incredibly thankful for so many different things. Mm. It's amazing how the nights on the ocean really kind of hit your soul. Mm. They really reach within you and they ask all sorts of questions. And it's, can you cope with that kind of intensity? Yeah. Mm. And, you know, there are days I cope with it better than others, mm. but it is mesmerizing. Was that half like? Was that a certain point, like halfway through, or at first? Did I you fra- reach a milestone, like in your mind, at that stage? Yeah, so I'd set myself again that that kind of rule of three and owning the next yeah. hour. I I I extended that slightly on Guinea of the Road to day eleven. Mm-hmm. Day eleven for me, because from the studies I'd done, if you can make it to day eleven and everything's roughly still together, you're set. Yeah. Like it doesn't mean you're gonna cross. At no point in ocean rowing are you guaranteed success. Mm. At no point. Even a couple of days out, there's nothing. And that, that's what makes it so frustrating. But for me, if I could get to day 11, if we as a team could get to day 11 and still be roughly okay, mm. the boat, how we're getting on, everything like that, if we're still functioning and still working towards our goal, then we're set. Yeah. And so that that was a massive moment for me. And again, you know, my cousins, Hazel and Rachel, who had come across, who they themselves played a massive part in the row. Mm. You know, they're, they're kind of messaging on the sat phone. You don't always get all the messages. It's kind of at night and you download everything. But they were just like, it's day 11. Well done. Yeah. And I gave myself a tiny bat on the back. I said, thank you to a lot of people that helped us. And for me, day 11 was, was a real moment in time. Mm. Now, the difficulty is, as I alluded to earlier, day 11 was also day two of a significant storm. Mm. <laughs> so... In some ways, it was a massive joyous moment, kind of magnified by the fact I was like, we're in this. We're all in. And we're in these massive waves. And you're like, you signed up for this. Let's just go. Let's just give it our all. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we did. We just all in. Yeah. And, you know, I think day 11 was more momentous because of that. Yeah. Yeah. From day 11 to then day 42, what do you remember about day 42? That despite right from like yeah. getting to the end to the last checkpoint to then getting off the board. Yeah, it was so for day forty two. It was it was an interesting one because I like to be prepared. I like to be controlled. Mm-hmm. I like to I like to have known every single possible permutation that will come out of a set outcome. Yeah. 
And I thought I did. And as a result, certainly towards the end, I'd said to the other two, because there was talk about, do we put an extra effort? Do we come in on this day? What do we do? Mm. There were a couple of boats ahead of us that we probably could have caught. I was like, it's up to you. You know, you guys decide the rotor. But once we decide, let's stick to it. Yeah. And one of them particularly wanted to get home. The other one was was slightly fatigued, but mm. still putting in all the effort. And I was like, I don't care whether we come in. They were like, well, if we come in then, we're going to come in at night. And I was like, I don't mind. Um, you guys decide, just decide. And I was completely caught off guard because we arrived in the day and I'd seen other people arrive and remember yeah. I'd visualized that photo of the mm-hmm. flares. Yeah. That's all I'd ever looked towards. Yeah. And the, the welcome reception. So the first it's sighting land. Now you're not supposed to be able to sight land because of how close we are to the sea and everything mm-hmm. else until I think it's 19 to 20 miles. We, we sighted land at 27. Mm-hmm. And it's huge excitement. You just don't realize how it overtakes <laughs> yeah. you. There's land. Like we'd see nothing. And the ocean is beautiful. Yeah. It is magnificent. But we had sighted land and, and I was on the oars and I said, look, I've got to get out. I've got to get out. Yeah. I like it's a speck. Like you are, you're properly searching for it when you're looking. Yeah. So we sight lamb and there's some storms. There was a usual mix of, I called up to get a weather check off the organizers and other people. And again, the advice on the weather was, oh, it's going to be beautiful. And of course it poured and there was all sorts of bedlam. <laughs> like we had proper waves. But the, the key moment was pulling into English Harbour mm-hmm. and like just everyone being there. And just all the other boats and everyone cheering. And then we had simply the best playing. And we had this. I just, I'd forgotten. Mm. Yeah. And it, it was just totally overwhelming. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, I kept my sunglasses on for a bit longer so mm. nobody could see my eyes. Yeah. But I was, I was welling up. Yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, again, you, you talked about a moment in time and, you know, 10 years in the making. Mm. That was 10 years in the making. Mm. You know, that 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 moment crossing the finish line. And I just sat there and I, I kind of said, thank you, said a prayer and all sorts of things and off you go. Yeah. But I was completely caught off guard for somebody that believes they know everything about every single second of what's yeah. going to take place. I completely caught me off guard and it was magical. Mm. Absolutely magical. I've, I feel like you're reliving it at the moment yeah. while speaking to us as well. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been lucky enough where I've been invited to talk yeah. about the row a bit, but I've never really looked at any of the images. Mm. Never looked at any of the videos. I've never. Um, to this day, you haven't. Yeah, I mm. just. So there's a there's a famous production company and entity that are very interested in doing documentary, and they've got a lot of my footage. Mm. And they said, "Well, what have you got? Have you got some good stuff?" And I said, "I have no idea." I, I described the process of which I film stuff, and they said, "Okay, so I've sent things across, mm. but yeah, no, I haven't." Because while I moved ahead and started planning a new adventure, mm. and that's well underway now, I've, I was told six months. So I just want to hold that and I want to keep it fresh. Mm. Yeah. And in, in, you know, kind of, let's say four months from where we are now, I'll unpack it then. Mm. And I'll just start to lift the lid. I also want to watch it with those who helped us. Yeah. Because I want them to feel what we felt. Yeah. Because they were very much a part of this as any of us were. Yeah. I can't imagine, yeah. you know, it's, it's I've never worked towards anything bumpy, 10 years. Actually. Yeah. 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 Was it a bit bittersweet in some respects? Like... Or no, no, or just no. sweet. No, no, just yeah. it was sweet because, frankly, we get to a lot to get yeah. across. Yeah, like you know, you got a couple of kids, you know, with no ocean rowing experience, but determination and a willingness to learn. And we, you know, we kind of put that together. And like, honestly, no one ever thought we'd make it. Mm. And even those that say, "Oh, you're going to make it. This is great. Yeah, yeah," they still think you're mad. Mm. So there's no understanding of what's about to take place from anyone else, yeah. despite how, no matter how supported they are. And so we. When you when you're really up against it and when you're you're swimming against a tide, such a strong tide where, you know, it'll be a three day trip mm. to have made it was just kind of joyous. But also, you know, it seems weird talking on a podcast about this, but 
it's overwhelming for everyone else. Mm. You know, all I've done is focused on that. Mm. You know, yes, you're part of a family life and many other things, but are you really? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're kind of like half a brain towards it. Mm. So with that in mind, I was very conscious as soon as I landed to stop talk about the row mm. and focus on other people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and be part of their lives. What were they doing? You know, what matters to them? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I did for the rest of the time when I was in Antigua. Mm. Yeah. How long were you there? And then when did you uh, fly back? So I, I was there for five days okay. and it was the most magical time because two of my best friends, Matt Jones and Chris Yates, flew over, mm-hmm. surprised me. And it was just wonderful to spend time with people mm-hmm. that I care about. Mm-hmm. You know, my family were there and it was just, you know, it's not about the rowing. And they'll say it was all about the rowing. Yeah. <laughs> but really, because you kind of, you're, you're very gaunt, yeah. you're broken, you have no <laughs> idea which way is up. <laughs> And, you know, that first night in a bed, it was really quite awful because, imagine. yeah, you just, I really enjoyed sleeping on the boat when yeah. you, the, the rare bits You're of sleep. You're being rocked, I guess. Yeah. The yes. <laughs> and I'll never forget there was, a, there was a red light on the television in the room and I, I woke up because I, I never got much sleep anyway. Mm. And so you're awake because you just have to be. And I see the red light and I'm like, okay, I'm on the boat. What yeah. am I supposed to be doing? Oh, yeah. And for like three or four nights, like I still those, thought um, I was... Ghost memory. Yeah. But, yeah, but it was, with you. but it was, you know, you... <laughs> You think you're present and you think you're contributing, but yeah. you're really not. You're, ju- mm. you're just a shadow. You know, I was down to 66 kilograms. Wow. And, and everything was hurting. Yeah. Everything was hurting. Mm. And there you are trying to be very present and have, you know, conscious <laughs> conversations. You're and you're just table. like, yeah, you're just like, nobody. <laughs> yeah. But the bravery, interestingly, continues straight off the boat. Mm. You know, I went to this point to see, uh, it was these manta rays and everyone's kind of, cause it's the open ocean yeah. and there are sharks and I'd seen the sharks. But, you know, with my son, everyone's just staying in this little area, but the, the roped area is massive. Mm. So I said to the guy, can I go over there? And he said, yeah, no worries, but nobody ever does. I was like, why? And they said, because they worry about getting eaten. I was like, I'm cool. Uh, <laughs> and that, that was bravery from the boat. Mm. And I took my son and we went swimming right to the edge, right to the edge of the reef. And just, he looked into the open ocean and he connected with some of the things that I'd seen. And that was quite special. But it was, it was also the bravery in action then. Mm. That's really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, going back to your causes. So mm. you've talked a lot about it. Mm. You know, you and I talked about, there was a lot of media interviews and press who were interested in what you were doing ahead of the, yes. the row. So tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the awareness that you were mm-hmm. raising. Yeah. So I was very lucky. I partnered with the UN Environment Programme and their mm. Clean Seas Initiative, and they couldn't have been more supportive. You know, I've always been very passionate about the environment. My whole family are passionate mm-hmm. about the environment. It's something we consider every day. You know, I'm one of those people at the beach when I see litter, I pick it up. Yeah. You know, because I just, why Why would we leave it? Well, why yeah. would you drop it in the first place? Yeah, but that exactly. aside, it was, the focus was on plastics and why plastics when there were so many other things to focus on. It was really because for me, it was something tangible that mm-hmm. other people could get behind. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, if I talk about global warming, if I talk about things, people are aware of these kind of words and sentences, mm-hmm. but how do they engage with it personally? And so I started a schools program with the UN Environment Program, the Clean Seas Initiative. And we were like, okay, four schools might be interested, I hope. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got to three and then I got to four. I was like, right, that's amazing. We had such a reaction. The kids were like, amazing. Mm. Let's do something. Let's change things. Let's start to be mindful of our use of single use plastics. And then we got to a fifth school and a sixth school and a seventh school. And in the end, we probably went through about 20,000 students before wow. we'd even set off. And so it's really because, you know, 60% of the rubbish on the shoreline is made up of plastic. Yeah. Mm. And when you look at the ocean, you know, we, we, I think it's because we were looking for it, mm. but we were expecting to find microplastics. Mm. 
But what we found was large clumps of plastic. Mm. And the, the guys on the boat were magnificent. You know, it was my cause and my passion. Mm. But it was one where when we were going along, if we saw plastic, we tried to take a photo. We were told to take a photo and geolocate it. But the trouble is, is you're going up on these massive waves. Even when it's calm, the waves are big. Yeah. And you're on a tiny boat and it's really hard to keep your eye on it mm. and you're rowing and you're tired. So we didn't capture everything. But we were amazed at the amount of plastic that was out in the ocean. Mm. It was flabbergasting. We tried to take photos and I've got all that and I've shared that with the relevant authorities. Um, but that passion has now continued and if anything, it's intensified. And the students and corporates wanted to hear, well, what's taking place? Yeah. What's happening? Yeah. So now I've I've come back and again I thought three or four people might be interested, but no, you know, I'm I seem to be everywhere. Mm. You know, we're going to about five or six schools a week. Um I'm giving talks to a large number of corporates. Mm. I even the other day joined a huge European company's town hall where the chief executive spoke and then passed to me. And I was completely <laughs> out of my depth because I'd been throughout this whole project, frankly. And I was I, I was like, just just step forward, just deliver. What do I yeah. need to do in this hour? Yeah. And everyone, like the reaction on LinkedIn, they're coming back to me privately on messages saying, this is, how do I get involved? Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of leading to the next bit and where I'm yeah. going. In addition, and I, I'm not an expert in this, and frankly, I'm just as scared as everyone else. Mm. But I really want people to know that A, they're stronger than they ever realize. Yeah. You know, you look at the mums on the school run and juggling everything in life. Crikey, they could do 15 times what I've ever done with any of my life. Mm -hmm. You know, and all these other people who think they can't, but they can. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't say cross an ocean because that's not somebody else's passion. But what I'd love people to do is just delve into a, a bit deeper into what might bring them joy. Yeah. You know, what might bring them happiness? Mm. And what is that? And it's not an obvious answer. But if you think about it and you, you start to explore it, you, you go, okay, well, I think this is joy. And then it proves it might mm. not be, but then they pivot mm. and they go into here and they find kind of true because they deserve it for themselves. Yeah. They put yeah. everyone else first. Yeah. You know, and, and so we, we've talked a lot in schools. And again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm no. not a scientist. <laughs> I have no qualification, but I've just given life a go. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you know, failure is not fatal. Yeah. And just try. Yeah. And that is where true courage is. Yeah. You know, if you turn up, then you are braver than anyone. That's true. And just got, it, getting to the start. Line. Yes. Yeah. Do it. So what's bringing you joy now? Yeah. What's, what's next? next? <laughs> what's next? Um, so I went back to the UN and I said, look, thank you very much. You were unbelievable in your support. And they said, well, thank you. And then I discovered they'd been covering our journey on their own website. And mm. I was like, okay, this has got far bigger than I ever realized. Mm. And then Reuters ran a piece on us. And I was like, okay, this is bizarre. And so I'm going to continue the fight against plastics. Amazing. And I'm partnering up with the UN again. Amazing. And I had a call with them just earlier this week. And the the focus is initially on UN Environment Day and then transcending forward from that. But we're going to do a row around the UAE. Oh, wow. And we're going to start in Fujira. We're going to end in Abu Dhabi. But it's not just our row this time because everyone's kind of quite interested in the boat. It's quite quirky. Mm. Even if they don't like water, they've got an interest in, wow, what's this button do? What's mm. that? Because it's Did got a lot of gadgets. Boat? Sorry? Did you name the boat? I didn't, uh, somebody else named the boat, uh, but it's going to be, it's going to, I don't know whether luck is associated in this, but okay. it's, it might be renamed for this project. Okay. Um, I need to discover if that in maritime stuff is allowed, yeah. um, but essentially we're going to, we're going to give the boat over to everyone else. Mm. So those that have a passion about it, those that care about the environment, they'll each get to row like five or 10 kilometers mm -hmm. with nothing laden in it. It's quite buoyant and it's easy to move forward. Mm. And so it'll be their chance and they'll get to say on camera what the environment it means to them, what this means to them, why they're doing it, a bit about the boundaries and a yeah. bit about the environment. And then they'll row with people. We've got business leaders, members of the media, and we'll do a journey. It's about 419 kilometers, but it'll be for everybody. So that that's the immediate next thing. Okay. And then it's, it's a couple of other things, but there are, there are other oceans involved without question. 
Oh, well, we're excited to hear more yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, we always end our conversations with our guests uh, asking them. I mean, we, you've demonstrated this throughout your, you know, athletic journey. But do you think that grit is innate for you or have you learned it or picked it up? I've learned it. Mm-hmm. I've learned it, you know, with all this chat about my drive and wanting to squeeze everything I can out yeah. of life. I think I've learned from other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I genuinely have, you're socialized by your environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there are various things about the five people and yeah. everything else. But that's why I love and the idea of trying a new sport because, okay, my grip was there for ultra running yeah. and kind of land-based adventures. Mm. You know, it's been taken to a completely <laughs> different level. And I didn't have that grit. I had none of it. Mm. Okay. To a certain extent, you could say I I do now because I've completed an ocean row. But again, I do not put myself anywhere ahead of anyone else. Mm. And I know it doesn't, to some people, you can't compare the school run and the daily life to grit. But my words, how other people are battling things, Mm -hmm. the toughness within individuals Mm -hmm. that just Mm -hmm. don't realize quite how tough they are because they've never asked themselves that question or nobody's ever told them they're that tough. Mm -hmm. You know, they're actually kind of sometimes put into boxes where it's like, it's part of what they do. Mm -hmm. But so I think I develop grit. I think I have a certain level of grit. Mm. But I think there are other people who are doing very ordinary everyday things, just living life and being quite powerful, who have far more grit than I'll ever have. So That's amazing. Thank you, Toby. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, we ask that you please share it with family, teammates, friends and even frenemies, or share via social media. Please also leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Five stars only. And visit us on themetalset.com for more stories and resources. Thanks again for listening. Your support means the world to us. This is The Metal Set.